Radio Mano Papachango. It's Uncle Chris again. How's it going out there? Uh, this is a um, soundtrack. This is the audio file <clears throat> to a video Roma that I recorded uh, a couple nights ago here in my dark little apartment in Topanga, California. I recorded this as the first of um, a series of video Romas that I'm doing for people who support the podcast on my new an approved website put together by Wake Media. Say hi to Patrick. Actually, <clears throat> Wake Media, this guy Patrick reached out to me a while ago. I may have told this story. I'm not sure if I've told this story in the podcast. But he reached out to me and he said uh, that he liked the podcast and um, that he worked in uh, IT. And he and his brothers had a company that uh, did branding and design work. And uh, if I ever needed any help with a website or whatever, he'd be happy to pitch in. And I said, I don't know, look at my website. What do you think? It's on Squarespace. It's okay. I sort of put it together myself. And he looked at it and he came back. He said, well, you know, you could definitely, it's all right, but you could definitely improve this and do that. And and over the next few months, he would send me more ideas of, of ways to improve the website. And then one of the things he said was, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess you're happy with Patreon, but maybe you'd rather run that independently like Sam Harris does. I think around that time, Patreon was kicking people off <clears throat> because they were expressing political ideas or using language that some people felt was offensive. And uh, there was a big hullabaloo because uh, Patreon was just kicking people off without really explaining why. And there was no due process or uh, it was kind of hard to know what the rules were. <clears throat> Most of the people they were kicking off were right wingers. So I didn't feel personally in any great danger since I'm more of a left winger, if I'm a winger at all. But um, still, I use words that, uh, you know, people will be offended by and express ideas that people could be offended by. And um, personally, I think that's one of the beauties of podcasting that you don't really need to give a shit. And so the relationship is between you and me. And whatever guest I happen to have on, if it's one of those episodes. Uh, and it's nobody else's business. And if you like what I'm saying or find it stimulating, even if you don't like it uh, and choose to listen, that's your choice. That's your business. And there's no company in between us limiting your ability to listen or limiting my ability to speak. So um, having patreon in that position is kind of like defeats the purpose of not having you know being on a network or something um anyway so lots of people support the podcast on patreon and i'm grateful for that and uh i i don't want to discourage that uh, but if you don't support the podcast at this point and you would like to uh, financially the best way to do that is through my website, 
because Patrick uh, at Wake Media set up uh, an independent way that you can subscribe to the podcast. And we've got a bunch of perks there. One of them is access to these video romas. Wow, that's a long story coming back to the video roma. Also, I wanted to mention that Patrick's two brothers, who he's in business with, are Christopher and Ryan. That's right. The three brothers who own Wake Media are Christopher, Patrick, and Ryan. If that's not destiny, I don't know what is. Crazy. Um, yeah, so other perks on the website for people who uh, sign up to subscribe there are access, free access to the ebooks, uh, the ebook version of Tangentially Reading and um, Tangentially. Uh, what is it? The one that we just came out with about drugs, talking drugs, tangentially talking drugs. We're, another ebook is coming out, tangentially talking sex. That's coming out soon. So what we're doing is we're putting together ebook excerpts from the podcast on specific themes. Tangentially reading the e- is an ebook, but also a physical book that you can get on Amazon if you're out there in the world somewhere, or if you're in uh, the United States, you can order it from my mom and you'll get the full color version. You can order that on the website, chrisryanphd.com. In any case, that's just sort of a selection of a bunch of different guests, ranging from Gabor Mate to Stanley Krippner to Joe Rogan to Duncan Trussell. And it's in book form. So for people, maybe you have friends who don't listen to podcasts, it doesn't fit into their lives, but they do like books. Or maybe you just like a coffee table version of this podcast, uh, some of the best moments from this podcast. You can find that in Tangentially Reading. But anyway, we're doing a series of thematic ebooks. So there's one about drugs that's already out, just came out recently. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, I think it's four ninety nine. Um, and uh, there's one coming out on sex, which will be yeah four ninety nine as well. But if you support the podcast, you get them free. So you save a bunch of money there if you if that's something you're going to do. And you'll also get access to the video Romas, and we'll also send out an MP3 if you prefer to take your Romas audio only. This particular one, it's the first one, and I decided I would just make this available to everyone so you sort of know what's going on and you can decide whether you want to sign up or not. And I think the minimum sign up is two bucks, so it's not a big deal, two bucks a month. All right. I think that's all I really wanted to say. The rest of this is pretty self-explanatory. I really get off on, or get off, I I go off on two questions here. The first question was, what is the thing in your life that you're most interested in but know the least about? Which is a really interesting thing to think about. And the second question that I go into is, um, how do you keep the darkness at bay? Which is a pretty important question these days, because there's a lot of fucking darkness out there. Um, Yeah, and I, I ended up talking for about an hour. It was an interesting experience, too, I have to say. Uh, 
it's the first time I've ever done this, strangely. Um, just sitting alone in a room, looking into the camera on the computer and imagining the people on the other side. It felt very intimate. It was very relaxing, even more than just the audio only in some ways. Um, anyway, so I hope you enjoy this and I hope it encourages you to go over to the new website at chrisryanphd.com and subscribe and support the podcast that way. If you don't have cash, don't worry about it. You can support the podcast by leaving reviews on iTunes or just telling your friends about it or however, sending out good karma into the world, however you do that. I am going to play you out with a tune by a guy who listens to the podcast. His name is Brett Newski, and the song is called Life Upside Down. You can find out more about Brett at uh, his website, brettnewski.com. It's B-R-E-T-T-N-E-W-S-K-I, like a new ski. You got a new ski. You can go skiing now, but you need the other new ski, of course. Sorry to make fun of your name, Brett, but it's a good name. BrettNewski.com. Life upside down. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your attention and your time. And uh, sending out a lot of love to everybody from Topanga. I'll be on book tour this month. Uh, you can find out the dates and the locations on the website. I'm going to be in New York in a couple of days. Then Denver then Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. So if you're in any of those cities in the next few weeks uh, and you want to come out and say hi, it would be great to see you. Thanks. Catch you later. Somebody talk to me Tonight especially This is my
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever video Roma uh, for subscribers to my new website. Yes, uh, <clears throat> it's weird. I'm looking, you know, I look at myself here, which is a little below the camera. They should figure out a way. Here's some advice to you, Apple and other computer manufacturers. Find a way to embed the camera in the screen itself so that I could be looking into the camera while I'm looking at myself. So I don't look up here at this thing with this little green light on it, which is weird because uh, it's a lot more natural to look at yourself when you're videotaping yourself. I did a... I did a talk or a, like an interview years ago when Sex of Dawn first came out for Big Think. And they had one of these devices that was uh, invented by a documentary filmmaker whose name I can never fucking remember. Um, he was a friend of uh, Werner Herzog uh, based in Berkeley. <clears throat> anyway, I can't remember his name. And I don't, I don't know. I guess I could pause this and edit and all that, but <clears throat> who's got time for that? Uh, anyway, this guy, he did the Thin Blue Line, I think it was called, which was a film about uh, a murder and police. Uh, anyway, he made he had he had invented this device that was like a a contraption with a couple of mirrors and a screen and. The the way he set it up, the interviewer who was behind um, uh, a partition was talking into a mirror and that mirror reflected and then came out on the screen that was placed right in front of the camera lens that I'm talking to. So I'm looking at this person's face during the interview and the camera is behind his face. So it creates a very natural way for you to speak directly into a camera without even knowing necessarily that that's what you're doing. I can't remember what it's called, but I'm sure if you just Google, you know, a few of those keywords, if you're interested, you'll find it. Um, or I could do that. Let's do that in real time. This will be like, it's like the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, thin Blue Line, Director... Uh, Errol Morris, that's his name. Uh, all right, so now I'm going to do... So we're, we're getting there. Errol Morris, um, camera technique. And here it is. Errol Morris, by shooting through a simple two-way mirror with a video monitor mounted under the camera lens, Morris can film his subject and make eye contact with him and her from the exact same angle. 
but it's called the Interatron. That's what it is, the Interatron. Isn't this great? The internet, all this knowledge accessible at our fingertips. All right, so this is a video Roma where I am responding to questions submitted by people who are subscribers at my new website, chrisryanphd.com, or thatchrisryan.com, or tangentiallyspeaking.com, or whatever the hell other URLs I have that are all pointing in the same direction. Um, and you can be a member of this prestigious organization for as little as, uh, I think, $2 a month is the minimum. So it's not expensive. It's not exclusionary. Uh, but it is exclusive, and I am going to try to address as many questions as I can that come in. Obviously, this is just—it's just been up for a couple of weeks, so there are only a couple of questions so far. But if you subscribe and you go to the forum uh, under podcast on the website, podcast supporter forum—that's—that's uh, that's the best place to submit questions or comments or whatever it is that you want me to respond to. And I'm more than happy to do it. And uh, if you're seeing this message, it means that you're already a supporter or uh, I'll probably uh, share this link also with Patreon people um, because they are, after all, supporters as well. I'd like to encourage everybody to come over to the new website. But if it's a hassle, don't worry about it. Um, Patreon is fine for now. I'm what I'm basically doing is trying not to have all my eggs in one basket because Patreon has a history, as you may have heard, of uh, deleting accounts with no warning and no due process. And they just uh, get a couple complaints and they decide to cut people off. And given the fact that this is um, my major uh, source of funding for the podcast, uh, that would be devastating. So. Uh, I set up the new website with uh, Patrick at Wake Media, uh, fantastic people um, who I'll talk about them more uh, on the normal podcast. Um, but one of the things we decided to do was to set up an independent system uh, for supporters so that I don't need to worry about somebody uh, getting a bug up his ass at Patreon and screwing me because I do say bad words. And I feel that one of the central values of this podcast is um, its independence and the fact that I and my guests can talk about anything. And that's between us and you and nobody else. And I don't want anybody else to be involved in that decision um, it's up to you whether you want to continue to support me and it's up to me if I want to risk losing support by talking about a particular issue um, that may be uh, offensive to some people or difficult or triggering or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, there's so much filtered content in the world. I've, I've said this on the main podcast many times, but... <laughs> I feel like there's a hunger for authenticity and uh, non-bullshit, which, strangely enough, is probably a big part of why Donald Trump got elected, uh, because his shamelessness 
it comes across as candor and people are so desperate for candor that they'll <laughs> they'll take any sort of unfiltered communication even if it's from a fascist idiot there there i'd probably offended some people by calling trump a fascist idiot but that's that i believe he's a i don't even think he's fascist cuz i don't think he's smart enough to put it together i think he's just a narcissistic selfish frightened child of a man and uh somehow he's in office this by the way is labradorite this is a it's a beautiful stone uh my friend viram made this for me um and you can hear viram on the main podcast we i think he was on two episodes all right so let's get to the questions uh in the meantime just to let you know what i'm drinking i'm drinking this i don't know if you can see that this uh through the Haze IPA from Bear Republic, uh, based in Northern California. They do Racer 5 IPA if you're into beers. And I really like this. It's an unfiltered IPA. So that's what I'm drinking. I'm at my place in Topanga. Uh, yeah, that's the kitchen back there. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Yeah, you're like a house guest now. All right, so uh, first question. What is the thing? This is from Patrick. Hi, Patrick. How you doing, buddy? Uh, what is the thing where the delta between your interest in it and knowledge of it is widest? That is a fucking great question. Um. By the way, if you want it, if you're interested in my answers to lots of other questions, particularly pertaining to civilized to death, I did an AMA, which is ask me anything on Reddit uh, a few days ago. Um, so if you're a Redditor, um, just go to the uh, books subreddit and you'll see it or go to the tangentially speaking subreddit and there's a link to it in there. I answered, I don't know, 100 questions or 50, I don't know how many, uh, lots of questions. Um, okay, so the delta between my knowledge of something and my interest in it is widest. I, I would have to say probably music. Um, I feel like music is uh, one of the, maybe one of the five things that has given me the most pleasure in my life along with sex and food and friendship and travel probably you know um you know the the friendship sex thing i guess that that would include love you know um so there's sub subcategories of those things, but yeah, if I yeah five things that have given me the most pleasure in life: travel, food, sex, relationships, sexual or non-sexual, um, and music. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be the big five right there. Uh, of course, there are things like sleep, you know, but is that taking a dump? I mean, that's pretty pleasurable. Uh, 
yeah, but but the depth of those <laughs> pleasures only goes so far. There's a limit. Uh, but with music, uh, it feels like the the limit to the pleasure that I can get from that is not contingent on the thing itself. It's contingent on my openness and sensitivity and um, sort of emotional availability. And yet I know very little about music uh, in any sort of technical sense. I don't play any instrument. I can't even sort of uh, play, you know, uh, I took a drumming class in Portland years ago. I think I had the teacher on the podcast. I don't remember his name, but it was three or four years ago. Um, I have very, I, I very little uh, talent, if any. Uh, I remember it was a, a conga drum, so just one drum head, this African drum, and I thought that would be the simplest thing because it's just a fucking one drum, right? Yeah. And within the first half hour, I realized how wrong I was because, yeah, it's one drum head, but you can hit the edge, you can hit the the center, you can hit between the edge and the center, you can hit it with your fingertips, you can hit it with the the, th the base of your hand, your thumb, you know, your knuckles, you could like roll your hand on it, you can have your hand on the drum head while you're hitting it to dampen the sound. So... On that one drum head, there are 500 different things you can do. And uh, so we were doing these very simple exercises like, you know, you know, one, two, seven, four, like, I don't know, just a very simple, just do these same things over and over again. And there were maybe five things that we needed to do in sequence and just do them again and again and again. And I kept fucking it up. I, I just, you know. And it's, but it's really interesting, and it's something that I would like to to pursue at some point in my life because it's it's something that I was. How can I say this? My my um, uh, sort of feeling of intimacy with the experience was interrupted by thinking about it. So if I just stopped thinking and just did it, it worked. But the second I started thinking about it, like, oh, wait, did I do that? Oh, what? then boom, I'm, I'm just stumbling all over the place. And I remember after the, <laughs> the exercise where I kept fucking up, he said, uh, he said, so how did that feel to everybody? And I said, I felt like I was in a forest with five trees, but I kept getting lost. Like there's, there's not a lot going on here, but I, I still can't keep it straight. Um, and I don't know, uh, I, I watch Rick Beato's, uh, deconstruction of, of songs. And I don't, if you don't know who I'm talking about and you have any interest at all in music, check out Rick Beato on YouTube. It's B E A T O. Um, he does a series called what makes this song great. That's just amazing. It's so good if you care about music. So, you know, like he'll, one of the tunes is police song. Um, uh, I forget which song it is. Maybe every breath she takes or, uh, no, every step you take, I'll be watching you. That song. Uh, 
And he picks it apart and he shows like, oh, this is the way they overdubbed this. And, you know, here's the drum set he's playing. And this is why they played this particular way. And, you know, he's he's doing these guitar licks, but he's doing it like stroking the guitar in a different way. And, and he goes through all this stuff. And about half of it, I know what he's talking about. And it increases my appreciation for the song and for the process of making music just so much. But half of it, I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, you know, Elysian chords, or I don't even remember the phrases, but he says a lot of stuff that I'm like, fuck, I wish I understood that because it seems so interesting and mysterious how these sequences of sounds, first of all, how they, how a collection of sounds becomes a chord that, that, we recognize as a thing and not just a collection of sounds, right? That's D major. It sounds like D major or it's a, you know, a minor chord, which produces a feeling of nostalgia or, or loss or sadness. And a major chord is more triumphant and, and, you know, forward and aggressive and like, why, why they're just sounds. They're just these random vibrations in the air and yet they interact with our consciousness in such a way that that they convey elemental emotions in many cases, like a you know a dance tune or a rockin' fucking Led Zeppelin tune or something, or they convey something deeply mysterious and 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 not just preverbal beyond words they convey things that can't be conveyed with language how does that happen nobody knows nobody can explain it they they can explain the, the oh that's a deep i remember talking with my friend mike years ago he's a musician had him on the podcast um he's a great he's a genius he's a musical genius and i remember talking to him about this and in high school, I think. And it, we had a fundamental sort of, we looked at music very differently because I was talking, I was trying to convey this, how like that particular part of that particular song makes me feel this incredible nostalgia. And he was like, well, that's because it's, in, you know, D minor progression and I don't know. I don't know. And he explained all the technical things. And I I understood what he was saying, but I felt like, like he was missing the point, you know? Like, like explaining how something happens isn't explaining what's really happening. Um, but maybe that's just... Uh, my ignorance. Um, and it reminds me of a poem. I'm going to read you a poem. How about that? Let's do that. A little spontaneous thing. Uh, this is a poem by Walt Whitman. It's very short, very brief, but it's about, see, you're seeing my thought process here. This is how it works. I just, you know, that's why it's tangentially speaking. One thing leads to another, leads to another. And in the end, there must be some sort of pattern to this. So anyway, this, song, this um, poem is called When I Heard the Learned Astronomer. And it's by Walt Whitman, who is a poet of 
great mystery. Uh, very, if you don't know Walt Whitman, his most famous book is Song of Myself. I think he was writing in the 1870s, 80s. Yeah, he was, uh, he was actually a nurse in the Civil War. And he wrote some of his poetry about the Civil War, which was the 1860s, so 1860s, 70s, 80s. Um, anyway, this is when I heard the learned astronomer. And it goes something like this. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I, sitting, heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick, till rising and gliding out I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air, and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars." See what I'm saying there? See what Walt's saying? You can explain the movement of the planets and the stars and the gravity and Newtonian physics, and charts and graphs and calculations, but none of that gets to what happens when you just lie back and look at the stars. And I guess I wonder if the knowledge, if those charts and graphs and so on, for some people at least, becomes an impediment to wonder. And I felt that way with my friend Mike, and we've talked about it for years after that. I... And, and I think he said that to me, that he envied me, my ignorance of music, because he envied the sort of innocent joy that I felt sometimes um, that he couldn't feel because he couldn't not notice the technical side. He could not notice, oh, I see what Sting did there. There's a change in time signature, which created this sense of unbalance. And so that and that keys into the lyric there. And then the bass line comes in and he sees all that. You know, he, it's like he sees behind the curtain. He sees backstage. He sees how, you know, it's, it's like knowing how the magician does the trick. It's not as much fun. Although I guess some people would say it's more fun because you know what he's doing. You know how hard it is. So you can really appreciate what he's doing. But you, you know, it's not magic, right? It's a magical technique. It's a trick. It's something that's being sold as magic, but it's sleight of hand. It's attention. It's distraction. It's all those techniques. And I guess I'm like, in some ways, when it comes to music, I'm like the kid who still thinks it's magic. But I would say in the case of music, it is magic. Because, I don't know, it's like, it's like if you did a magic trick and, 
and you knew that if you slipped this card here and you did that and you did this and you did this other thing, that a rabbit would appear in your hat. So you know the techniques to make that rabbit appear in the hat, but you still have no idea where the fuck that rabbit comes from. I know if I do all these things perfectly, a rabbit will appear in the hat. So I guess a magician or a musician would say, if I play this, these notes, if I play this Chopin etude without fucking it up, I play it the way it's written. I play it with some, I allow my soul to seep into my fingers as I'm playing it. It will create uh, an emotional response in the people who are in the room with me. Great, but why? How? I don't think anyone understands that, or at least I don't. So this is all a very long-winded way of answering this question. What is the thing where the delta between your interest in it and knowledge of it? By the way, beautifully phrased, the delta, right? Your interest, where are my hands like this? Yeah, the, so it's like that. The, uh, the interest and the knowledge are separate music. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I regret it, but on another hand, I'm not sure I regret it because I wouldn't want to ever surrender the mystery that I feel. I'll tell you a funny story. Oh, yeah, it's a strange story. I haven't shared this with many people, but it's just you and me here. Uh, whoops. Uh, when I was a kid, I was about um, probably eight years old, something like that, 1970. Uh, let's see. I can probably tell you. Uh when it was hold on i'm looking this up did it do 19 okay the song was released in 1977 wow i was five when it was released but i wasn't five i was older than five. Oh no 77 no i was 62 so it's 15 huh god i thought i was younger than that okay so Hmm. All right. Um, so I guess I was 15. Strange. Anyway, I was visiting my grandparents in Philadelphia with my parents and my sister. We used to go and visit them twice a year, normally Thanksgiving and uh, some other holiday. Um, twice a year, we lived in western Pennsylvania. They lived in Philadelphia. It was like an eight or eight hour drive, nine hour drive or something. And um, it sucked. I fucking hated it. Um, my grandparents were not happy people. My grandfather was, uh, through my childhood, was basically in a state of very slow suicide. He was a nasty unhappy man and had diabetes and didn't stop drinking and so he got gangrene in his extremities and 
Every time we went to visit, he was missing. He'd had another part of his foot or leg amputated. And so sort of through my childhood, um, you know, from the time I was five till he died when I was around 18 or 19, I think. Uh, it was just horrible. We'd go and visit and he was in this hospital bed in the living room of this tiny little house and pissing in a wine carafe and uh, had a bedpan and my grandmother was all hated him and he hated her and they'd yell at each other and, and there was nowhere to escape because they lived in this shitty little neighborhood where there was like no park or nowhere you could go and we we're just trapped. It was horrible. Fucking hated that place. Anyway, uh, one night I was upstairs. It was late at night and he, everyone was trying to sleep and he was downstairs. He had a little transistor radio that he used to listen to. And, um, this song came on the radio and I heard this song in the distance and something about the sound, something about the music was magical to me. It transported me. It comforted me. And maybe it's because I, f I felt so fucking bad. There was nothing good happening there. I, I, anyway, I heard this sound from the other side of the house. And this is it. That groove. Somehow, coming out of my grandfather's transistor radio downstairs, made its way upstairs. And I never forgot that. I hope that's not distracting if I leave that on a little bit. I never forgot it. Every time it came on the radio, I would hear like, that's that song. That's that song that I, you know, and I remember where I was when I heard it. And I would always wait for the radio station or disc jockey to say who the artist was. And it was frustrating because they wouldn't or I'd miss it or, you know, whatever, wherever I was hearing it, I'd have to leave. And so it sort of like teased me for a while. And then finally, I found that it's a song called Strawberry Letter 22 by the Brothers Johnson. And it's been one of my you know, I, to say it's like one of my favorite songs is weird because I have this really personal connection to it. Right. And I can appreciate it just as a groovy tune. Um, but I just always assumed that the, the the magical quality of it was totally due to the state of mind I was in the first time I heard it. Um, and then. This is distracting me. I'm going to turn that off. Then uh, 
man, in the when the nineties, there was this TV show, really good, one of the first HBO series called Six Feet Under. I'm sure some of you watched it, uh, but those of you who never have, it, it's a show about a family that owns a mortuary. Uh, the father dies in like the first episode, and it's about the family trying to deal with his death while they help other people deal with their family member's death. Um, it's a great show. Really, really well done. Um, intelligent and sophisticated and subtle and just beautiful shows uh, created by Alan Ball, who I believe also wrote the film American Beauty. Great movie. Uh, anyway, that that show went on for, I don't know, five, five seasons, maybe six seasons. And it was one of those shows where they knew they were going to end it. So it wasn't just like, oh, the audience abandons it and you cancel it. Like in the old days, this was, you know, the new style, like Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and all that, where you're like, no, we're going to do a certain set number of seasons and there's going to be an arc and, you know, the character development and all this and that. So in one of the last episodes, there's a scene where Nate, who's the main character, um, he's the older brother trying to help take over the family business. And uh, he and his younger brother, uh, played by the guy who was Dexter afterwards. Um, but in this case, he's uh, one of the first uh, gay characters on TV that, that was actually depicted with some authenticity. Um yeah, he's in the hospital. So Nate has a brain aneurysm and Nate's in the hospital. He's had surgery, brain surgery, and he's recovering and his brother's there visiting and their sister is there. And there's this thing on TV that they're watching some nature special birds diving into the ocean. And uh, I would really encourage you to take a look at this it's on youtube um just six feet under nate's death or something like that you'll see it there's there's a five minute sequence where nate falls asleep and we sort of go into his mind and he's dreaming and we're with him in this dream and at the end of the dream, he dies. I'm not ruining anything for you. That's the whole point of the scene, that this is his transition from life to death, and it happens in a dream. And there's a song playing in the background. It's Strawberry Letter 22. So... The magic, the mysticism, the unique appeal of that song wasn't just my relationship with it. It wasn't just that night that my I was upset because my grandfather's dying and it's so uncomfortable and weird and all that. There's something in the song, or at least Alan Ball and I feel the same thing. Or whoever made that decision about using that song. Anyway, it's a long fucking story. I don't know why I told it, but something about the magic of music. All right. 
Uh, this is going, this is, I'm half an hour into this. I haven't sipped my beer. Mm. This is fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. Let's see. Um, okay. This is from Alyssa. Let me turn this over here. How do you keep the darkness at bay? Hmm. Even when I'm not feeling trapped in my own life, I look at the state of things around me often and just feel so much despair for all the suffering. I know your interactions with intelligent, passionate people probably do a lot to buoy you, but are there other small ways you keep from feeling the weight of the world too heavily? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I was talking with a friend the other day. We were talking about civilized to death, and, and he was asking me, like, okay, what's the answer? What do we do? And, and I said, I don't think there is an answer. I think we ride it out. I think we have to just react to things the best we can and um, take care of each other in the process because this is going to be ugly. And he said, well, where do you find meaning? As if my lack of a, of a plan... Uh, or some sort of resolution or, uh, you know, response, uh, you know, thought out multi-stage response to this civilizational collapse that I see happening um, would preclude me from meaning in my life, from and I understand where he's coming from, but my re- my thinking was like, what could be more meaningful? There's no lack of meaning on a sinking ship. I would say that, you know, there may be a lack of meaning on the cruise ship before it hits the rocks. But once it hits those fucking rocks and it's going down and people are scrambling and screaming and furniture sliding across the floor and windows are shattering, there's no absence of meaning at that point. Things become very, very fucking meaningful. And that's one of the things that I... I wrote about in Civilized to Death that I was very interested in and, and gratified by and surprised by, which is the way people behave in disasters is not at all the way the neo-Hobbesian vision of human nature would predict. We don't rape and pillage when there are no cops around to control us. What we do is we help each other. And people who survive disasters generally look back on those days, those difficult 
chaotic, crazy, desperate days as the best days of their lives. Because the lack of meaning is in our daily lives. In fact, the the guy I quote in the book, he's like one of the founders of disaster sociology. He actually said that explicitly. He said, you know, my lifetime of studying this has led me to the conclusion that normal life is the disaster. Normal life is a slow moving, steamrolling fucking disaster because in normal life, we're isolated, we're alone, we're scrambling to pay the mortgage and get new shoes for the kids and just deal with all the fucking bullshit that's coming at us 24-7. But when this shit hits the fan, forget that shit. Forget about getting your kids new fucking Nikes. Because, you know, Bobby's friend Billy has new Nikes. I went Nikes. Fuck you, kid. You're lucky to be alive. We're all lucky to be alive. You'll wear whatever you can. We'll take care of each other the best we can. And it becomes really fucking meaningful and beautiful. And relationships become so important because it's life or death. You're not counting on state farm insurance to pull your ass out like a good neighbor state farm no you're counting on your neighbor the, the real neighbor not the metaphorical neighbor not the giant company who's in business of ripping everybody off pretending to be your neighbor you're counting on your neighbor and your neighbor's counting on you and that fucking matters that feels good it feels so good that people are willing to risk their lives repeatedly to have that experience. I was with my friend Kaj last night. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. And he's like, he's re, uh, what's it called? Re, re-upped or re, I forget what the term is where, you know, he could have left the military years ago and he keeps renewing. And I looked at him, I said, why? Why? You're giving up your autonomy. You're, you've got people telling you what to do. You're in these incredibly uncomfortable situations. He was talking about some mission he was on and the, you know, being in cold water for 12 hours and, uh, you know, body temperature, like plummeting and having to be revived. Just like the most horrible fucking stuff. Why? Why do you do that? I remember in, in Sebastian Junger, uh, who wrote a book called Tribe, by the way, which highly recommended. Uh, he was talking about these guys in Afghanistan, in the Korangal Valley, and and uh, I forget who was interviewing him. Maybe it was Bill Maher. And he said, uh, so why do they do this? Why, you know, they're, they're, they're pawns in this geopolitical game about oil and and strategic positioning and you know why why would you risk you're some guy from arizona why are you risking your life 
in eras or in uh, fucking Afghanistan. And what Sebastian Euler said was they do it for each other. They do it for love. They love each other. That makes me so sad because it's co-opting one of the best things about human beings in order to get them to do one of the worst things that human beings do, which is kill each other. It's like dog fights. Or, or I think of like the, you know the German shepherds that the Nazis used to herd the Jews into the camps and stuff. Like those dogs didn't know what they were doing. Those dogs were just trying to do what they thought was the right thing, right? They were trying to make their master happy. They have a relationship with this dude, and the the dude feeds them and pets them and takes care of them. And so, okay, they they don't have the capacity. To think, yeah, this guy's an asshole. This guy's a fucking racist, you know, piece of shit. I shouldn't be working for this dude. Dogs don't have that capacity. And honestly, neither do most soldiers. And I don't blame them for that. That's what the old bastards count on, is young Kids full of testosterone who want an adventure. And yeah, I'll give you an adventure. Sure, sure. Just sign here. Yeah, you'll get an adventure. Um, anyway, my point is that in hard times, some of the best qualities of people come to the surface. And... I have a, on a sort of global level, I'm pretty uh, resigned to the idea that Western civilization is collapsing at an accelerating rate and things are going to continue to get worse and harder and systems are going to fall apart and people are going to be starving and dying of thirst and there's going to be massive migrations around the world of people when the glaciers in the Himalayas dry up, for example, and the Ganges stops flowing. <laughs> There's going to be suffering that's beyond imagination uh, for most of us. And it's already started. But within that context, there are going to be moments of indescribable beauty and poignancy and kindness and love because the system when it's functioning properly tends to filter those things out and make those things it devalues those things and so as much as I lament the collapse and the disruption and the suffering that all this is causing uh 
I'm kind of not really that sorry because we've been going in the wrong direction for a long time and nobody wants to hit a wall at 40 miles an hour, but maybe that's better than continuing down this road at 40 miles an hour. We need to turn around. We need to change direction. And we are apparently, according to all the historical evidence I'm aware of, we are incapable of changing direction until it's too late. And uh, so we're going to have to go through this. It's the only way to get to the other side. Now, having said that, I don't have kids, and I think that makes it easier for me because personally, I can just sort of look at things and say, well, what's the worst that can happen to me? The worst that can happen to me is um, that the people I love suffer, and so I try to do what I can to help them, and uh, beyond that, I die. I was going to die anyway. So, <laughs> right. Uh, so that's not a huge disaster. And at 57 years of age, I feel like I've already spent most of my life dollars. So nobody can steal them. I'm, I got no regrets. I've done everything I wanted. I've had a great time and I would love to keep it rolling for another 20 or 30 years. But if that doesn't happen, I've got no complaints. So I guess that helps me in a weird, selfish, nihilistic, solipsistic sort of way. It, I feel like I kind of won. Like I'm leaving this casino with money in my pocket a lot more than I came with. And so maybe part of the answer, I don't know how old uh, you are. Is it Alyssa? I think or, um, how old the, the person who asked this question is, but maybe a big part of my current lack of despair is the fact that when I was young, I did whatever the fuck I wanted to do. Uh, generally, uh, there were times when I worked at a job I didn't want to be at and I was miserable, but, uh, before long, as soon as I had enough money to fuck off and go travel for a while, I did. And, uh, you know, that led to me being 35, 36 years old, working in Barcelona, teaching English for, very little money and no, you know, no savings and no this and no that, but no security, um, but no regrets. And I think that's really important that you live your life in a way that you don't look back and say, oh, I fucking bailed on that. I really should have, 
I should have gone for it. I should have loved that person better or I should have stood up for myself or I should have quit that job that was humiliating me and draining me of self-respect. I should have left that fucked up relationship. I shouldn't have let him or her make me feel that way about myself. You know, those things. I think it's really important that you take care of yourself and live your life, honor your life as much as you can. And yeah, in my experience, if you're able to do that, um, it offers uh, some sort of armor against despair because you still feel grateful and I feel incredibly grateful for this life even considering the fact that it's happened it's happening in a world um, where the most beautiful parts of it are being trampled and the, I live in a civilization that I think is uh, deeply and fundamentally pathological yep <laughs> I think I'm on the wrong side of this war um, but I can't go to the other side there is no other side the other side is nature and um, yeah, we live in the world as it is. So, uh, that's my answer. I don't know if that's, if that answer makes any sense or will make anybody feel better, but I think no matter how bad things get, um, there is still beauty and that beauty is as deserving of our attention and contemplation as is any kind of um, despair, you know, I think there's despair porn. I think there's, uh, you know, we can spend so much time lamenting what we're losing that we forget what we're gaining and what we have. And I think that um, I think we owe the world, our attention and gratitude and, uh, and there's something self-serving about just feeling bad all the time, just placing our own ego at the center of the story. Okay. I'm going to end with another poem. Uh, I didn't know I was going to be reading poetry tonight, but these issues remind me of these poems. I think I've read this on the podcast. It's called God's Grandeur. And it's about what I was just saying. It's about this contrast between um, commerce and capitalism and our sort of unthinking uh, destruction and defiling of the natural world. And yet it's 
resistance and its persistent beauty and its, uh, in a way, its unconquerability. Uh, if you've ever seen Deadwood, the TV show, I think about this every time. I, I'm rewatching it for like the fifth time now. This is another HBO series. It's a Western. If you watch the opening credits, think of this and watch the opening credits and think of what we're talking about here. It's a series of images of this mining town in South Dakota in the 1880s. Mud. It's what it is, is a series of beautifully rendered images of ugly things. So it's all it's about the brutality of this town the mud streets and the shit and the the dirty stinky men and the mistreated desperate sad prostitutes and the conniving power hungry bastards and the the you know the mistreated chinese who are being you know blown up in the mines and and used as as you know less than slaves and like all this brutality of western civilization photographed in the most beautiful light and reflections and the movement and it's that's it that's that's where we are. So I guess my point is sometimes try to see the beauty in the horror because they're both there. And there's a self-indulgence in just focusing on the horror because the beauty's there. It's calling out for your attention and it deserves your attention. It needs your attention. All right. God's grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why then do men now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. All And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now nor can foot feel being shod. See that? It's all, everything is fucked up. The, the soil is bare. Everything stinks. It shares the stench of humanity. But he says in the next stanza, and for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. 
And though the last lights off the black west went, we're in the darkest night. There's no light left. The last lights off the black west went. Oh, morning at the brown brink eastward springs. It's all cyclical. All right, that's it. That's an hour. I didn't mean to go an hour. I hope this wasn't boring for you. Um, and I, speaking of gratitude, one of the things I'm most grateful for is the fact that there are people who are generous enough to send me money for something that I'm essentially doing for free. Uh, uh, I mean, they can have it for free. Lots, uh, maybe 1% of the people who listen to the podcast are sending me money, but they are, and you are, and I deeply appreciate it. And it uh, helps keep that darkness at bay, <laughs> I guess, knowing that, that there are people like you out there. And I've met so many of you. It's why I do this anthropology trip and intend to continue doing it every year um, because when I meet people who listen to this podcast uh, who go to the trouble to come to the bar or wherever I am and say hi, fucking touches me and makes me feel uh, so fucking lucky. So thank you for that. If you're seeing this, it's because you're one of those people and uh, I deeply appreciate it. See you next time. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest
shut it up and give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone It's a big deal if you want to be free. Say what you want to feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms. And if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.